You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 17. In today's episode, some new announcements from Nikon. The cameras that shot the winning photos of World Press Photo 2019. And a woman shoots anti-selfies by dying at famous landmarks. All this on episode 17 of the Liam Photography Podcast. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 17. Nikon has a new announcement. If you are looking for a digital camera to help a child fall in love with photography, they have just announced their new Coolpix W150, an ultra-durable and waterproof camera that you may be interested in buying for the young person in your life that you would like to ignite their flames of photographic passion. The W150 is built to survive all kinds of environments and accidents. It's waterproof down to 33 feet, shockproof from 5.9 feet, coldproof down to 14 degrees Fahrenheit minus 10 Celsius, and dustproof. Design-wise, it features a rounded body that both grown-ups and kids can handle with ease. This new camera features a 13.2 megapixel sensor and a 3x optical Nikkor lens. Additionally to stills, it can also record full HD video with stereo sound. And this new camera will come in a variety of colors, such as white, orange, blue, and even a kind of funky looking pink with flowers motif. The built-in Little Planet editing function lets you quickly turn real-world scenes into tiny planets, similar to a circular photo editor software that I have on my Mac. You can do something similar, and I especially love to use that with 360 drone views uh, that I shoot with my drone, my DJI Phantom 3. Nikon says the graphical user interface has been modified to make it easier for first-time users to navigate. Camera operations can also be customized by selecting the design of the menu screen based on five options, as well as a variety menu feature that can be disabled to limit the availability of selected camera functions. There's currently no news on the release date or the pricing, but That camera is scheduled to be released at some point in 2019. Next up, Nikon has released a new 15-second video that provides a preview of their upcoming iDetect autofocus functionality that will be coming to the Z6 and Z7 mirrorless full-frame camera bodies. Nikon had first Uh, mentioned that they were working on an update that would include iDetect autofocus in January of 2019, but the release of that firmware has been slightly delayed while they are working out some bugs, according to the rumors that I've read online. 
There's still no concrete date on when the item will be released, this firmware update, but it should be coming sometime, hopefully, in Q2 of 2019. So you'll definitely want to be keeping your eye out for that update if you are a Canon Z6 or Z7 owner. Other major upgrades promised by Nikon include raw video support, outputting raw video to the Atomos Ninja 5, monitoring recorder using the ProRes RAW codec, and support for next-gen CF Express memory cards, but it is unclear if those two items will be bundled with this firmware release. Oh, and I apologize. It looks like they've tentatively scheduled the release for May 16th of 2019. So it looks like they have narrowed down a potential release date in May. We'll have to wait and see if it actually comes out at that time or if it ends up getting pushed back yet again. On another note, the cameras that shot the winning photos of World Press Photo 2019 have been announced. Now, if you're not familiar, World Press Photo is a series of awards that are given out to camera brands and manufacturers and models um, based on the use, uh, the use of those cameras by professional photojournalists. If you'll remember in the recent episode I did with uh, Jill Mott, who had been a photojournalist for a number of years, we had talked about how the photojournalism uh, genre of photography has kind of died off. It's definitely a lot weaker than it was, say, 20 years ago. But that's not to say there aren't still professional photojournalists out there. Now, the announcement by World Press Photo, the winning photos for the 2019 edition, and these are considered the most prestigious awards in photojournalism, and the camera metadata shared alongside the top photos is again providing us with an inside look at what gear the world's top photojournalists are using in the field at this moment. Nikon surprisingly took the crown from Canon in 2018 with 52% representation among winning photos compared to Canon's 30%. Nikon's time at the top, however, did not last. This year, Canon struck back and was behind 46.4% of the winning photos compared to Nikon's 36.8%. While Sony has made huge strides in the camera market over the past year, it became number one, if you didn't already know, in the full-frame camera market in the U.S. last year. Its use by photojournalists in World Press Photo hasn't changed. Only a single finalist photographer was confirmed to have used a Sony camera, which happened to be the A7R II, for their work. So, it looks like, although Sony is number one as far as full-frame camera bodies in the U.S. as of last year, they still got a long ways to go to crack into the professional photojournalist market. And I think they're still going to struggle for a little while yet before they're going to break into professional sports photography market as well. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that Sony has the A9. A lot of people rave about it. It can supposedly do 20 or 30 frames a second, whatever the case may be. Um, but I've also read a lot of articles and seen a lot of videos where different users are saying the autofocus isn't quite as accurate as a lot of other people will lead you to believe it is. 
Now, I did reach out to Tony Northrup, uh, if you're familiar with Tony and Chelsea Northrup, uh, with their YouTube channel and their, their uh, podcast, which is Picture This. I reached out to Tony after I'd watched some of the videos about the A9. And uh, the videos I was watching, and I watched them, uh, videos that were posted by a few different professional photographers that do shoot sports. And the consensus among these uh, professional full-time sports photographers were that the A9's autofocus was only accurate about 54% of the time compared to Canon's 1DX Mark II and Nikon's D5 being accurate 98, 99, 100% of the time. Now, I reached out to Tony about this. This was a few months back. And he was telling me that in all of his testing, the Nikon, or I mean, the Sony A9 was just as accurate as the Canon and Nikon. But I'm, I'm not 100% sold on that yet because I still, to this day, see more recent data online where people are still saying it's not nearly as accurate as others have been portraying it. Now, I don't know if it's a matter of the, the style of sports shooting you're doing. I know in, I believe in Tony's video, um, he was photographing a jogger that was more or less running dead on at him. And in some of the other videos I've watched, um, if you were off at a little bit of an offset diagonally from the runner, then it was missing quite a bit. Now, maybe that's been fixed in a recent firmware update. I'm not sure. I know Sony has dropped a bunch of firmware updates recently, um, but I don't think they released anything for the A9. I could be wrong. I know their big one recently was for the A7 bodies uh, to enhance the eye detect autofocus and to give them the, uh, to add on the uh, animal eye detect autofocus as well, um, which was included in their recent APS-C mirrorless body, which I think was the 60, A6400. Um, but so I'm not 100% certain on that. I could be wrong. Maybe they did release an update for the A9. It made its autofocus as far as shooting action sports more accurate, but I haven't seen anything concrete on that yet. I've heard yes from some people, no from others. So as far as I'm concerned, it's still kind of up in the air. Now, uh, getting back to these awards, uh, in terms of individual cameras, the Canon 5D Mark IV, the 5D Mark III, the Nikon D5, the Canon 1DX Mark II, and the Nikon D850, were the top five tools of choice with photojournalists. And the 5D Mark IV definitely was the biggest. Uh, that was the one that was used by the most professional photojournalists um, with six. And then the 5D Mark III came in at five, the Nikon D5 at four, the 1DX Mark II and the Nikon D850 were both tied at three. And there were some other cameras in the mix as well. Uh, two, uh, two was the Canon EOS 6D used by two shooters, the Nikon D3S, two shooters, Nikon D800, two shooters. And from there, it went down even further, of course, down to one. And you had a variety of bodies under, you know, in a single user, a whole bunch of different bodies, the EOS 5DSR, which I have and love. I think it's a fantastic camera. Then you had the Canon EOS 1DX the first generation, the Nikon D300, the Nikon D7200, the Nikon D4, the Fujifilm X-Pro2, the X100T Fujifilm, the X100S, the X100, 
and then one shooter with the Sony a7R2, which I mentioned a moment ago, and one with the Leica Q. In the area of sensor size, full frame is understandably still the format that is most used at 73.3% versus APS-C at 11.1, and no data was 15.5. In other words, those images, the XIF data didn't indicate whether it was a full frame or an APS-C body being used. Now, if you do want to see the top camera gear breakdown, I will include the link in the show notes to where you can see the breakdowns for 2018, 17, 16, and 15, as well as this data for the 2019 awards. So it's definitely, like I said, um, the market has definitely shifted back again. Uh, not the market, I'm sorry. Uh, with photojournalists, it's shifted again. It was Canon for a long time. Nikon managed to win it last year, but now it's back to Canon again. And it'll probably stay that way in the foreseeable future. Uh, I could be wrong, but I really, I just honestly don't think that photojournalists are going, are going to be jumping on the mirrorless full-frame bandwagon anytime soon. I think it's going to be a few more years yet. And the reason why I say that is because the DSLR technology has been around for quite a long time now. They're extremely robust. They're extremely durable, you know, with the magnesium and all of that, the weather sealing, and it's just proven technology. So I really don't think you're going to see a serious number of photojournalists switching to mirrorless full-frame bodies just yet. I think it's going to be a few more years yet, but we'll have to wait and see. Now there's been speculation by uh, many people that the DSLR technology is long in the tooth and short to live. Uh, a lot of people are forecasting that that Canon and Nikon will only be making DSLRs maybe through 2019, and that'll be it. Uh, I don't believe that. As a matter of fact, during a recent interview with one of the Canon executives, I believe from Canon Europe, he was actually saying that Canon is going to continue making DSLRs for the foreseeable future, in addition to their mirrorless full-frame offerings. So I don't think. Canon is going to pull the plug just yet. And I, and I believe a big reason for that is they know their top dog when it comes to photojournalists and when it comes to sports photography, serious sports photography, you know, like the folks that are shooting for Sports Illustrated or the people that are shooting for MLB and NHL and NBA and all that stuff, the Olympics. All of those professional sports shooters are still using DSLRs. And I don't think that's going to change just yet. I think we've got a little bit longer to go. There's already, as I mentioned in an earlier episode, there's already rumors that Canon will be releasing a 1DX Mark III uh, towards the tail end of 2019 or, or very, very early in 2020 so that they have it in photographers' hands in time for the Summer Olympics in Tokyo. So... We already know they're going to make at least one more. They're going to release at least one more high-end pro sports body in the 1DX series. Now, whether or not they're going to replace the 1DX line with a mirrorless full-frame sports body with dual memory cards and everything, 20, 30 frames a second, whatever the case may be, whether or not they're going to do that after the 2020 release of the 1DX Mark II, I don't think so. I think Canon, 
I mean, there's already rumors that they're going to do a pro body, that they're probably going to drop one yet this year. It's going to be the third um, EOS R body, what they're going to call it. I'm not sure yet. Nobody seems to know for sure yet. Uh, but they are rumored to be releasing a pro body this year that's going to have dual memory cards. It's going to have in-body image stabilization and possibly a higher frame rate. Uh, even more advanced eye detector autofocus. And there's even rumors that this new Pro Body may possibly also have Canon's new quad pixel autofocus that I mentioned uh, recently in a previous, and I think it was episode 16. But we'll have to wait and see if that actually happens. So I do believe that Canon is going to release a professional body in the EOS R line with the RF mount. But I'm certain it's not going to be their sports body. They're not going to be, they're not going to, they're not going to kill off the 1DX line just yet because it's a workhorse. I mean, it's a tech, it's a body that's been around for quite a while. For the longest time, it was technically a crop body camera because it had a 1.3 crop factor. And a lot of people didn't realize that the older 1Ds all were 1.3 crop factor. They were not true full frame. The 1D body did not become true full frame until the 1DX came out and now the 1DX Mark II and of course the 1DX Mark III, which is on the horizon. So they are true 35 millimeter full frame DSLR bodies, unlike the older generations of 1D, like the, the 1DN and the 1DS and so on and so forth. Those were all 1.3 crop factor. So I don't think Canon is going to be releasing a high-end sports body and mirrorless under the EOS R technology just yet. I think it's going to be a couple of years yet. Usually what Canon does is they'll release a new 1D body uh, and they'll wait a couple of years before they release its replacement. That's generally how it goes. They release the 1DX, they wait a couple of years, then the 1DX Mark II comes out. They wait a couple of years, then the 1DX Mark III comes out. So if they're going to release the 1DX Mark III in early 2020 for the Tokyo Summer Olympics, then that's going to be it for at least a couple of years. So chances are we might not see a replacement for the 1DX body and a mirrorless full-frame derivative until 2022. But who knows? Maybe Canon's cooking something up. Uh, like I mentioned before in a previous episode when I was at Imaging USA and, and spoke to the gentleman from Canon, at the CPS Lounge, he did tell me that Canon's got stuff in the works that's going to blow everybody's mind. So who knows? Maybe I'm off on this. Maybe they're going to release a 1DX Mark III, but they're also going to release an EOS R derivative sports body. I don't think so. And if they do, I think the earliest they might do that would be the end of 2020, early 2021. They're not going to want to cannibalize their 1DX Mark III market, you know, by releasing a sports body alongside it and mirrorless. So I don't see that happening. But who knows? Maybe they're maybe they're going to release the 1DX Mark III, and then at the end of 2020 or early 2021, they're going to release their first mirrorless sports body that can do 20, 30, 40. Who knows? 40 frames a second. God only knows. I mean. Everybody's looking to push up the frame, you know, the frame per second, you know, for the longest time, Canon was always king there, especially with the 1DX uh, line. And now Sony had to move the bar up 
like coming out with the A9, it can do 20 to theoretically 30 frames a second. I don't know if it can actually truly do 30 or not. I've heard mixed things on that. But they wanted to move the bar up with, uh, Sony did, so they came out with the A9 as a full frame mirrorless sports body. But again, like I said, uh, the autofocus on that is still questionable uh, as far as how accurate it is. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of stories both ways and a lot of videos both ways. That's neither here nor there. All right, so I don't want to beat that story to death too much, but like I said, I will share the link to this story about the Photos of the World Press Photo 2019 awards. That will be in the show notes. And the last topic I wanted to touch on in this episode is kind of an interesting story. Now, in this day and age, with especially with millennials and all of that, Everybody's aware that we have what's known as the selfie craze. And the selfie craze is where all these young people, especially, go around snapping pictures of themselves with their smartphones all the time and posting them on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and yada, yada, yada. Well, this story that I came across on Petapixel today I thought was really interesting. And this was posted a couple of days ago by Michael Zhang. And the title is Woman Shoots anti-selfies by dying at famous landmarks. And I thought this was kind of cool, and it's a really great idea, especially in, like I said, in the selfie day and age. It's kind of interesting to see somebody doing anti-selfies, so I thought this was really cool. And in the article, it says, when normal people visit famous landmarks these days, they commonly pull out their phones and snap a selfie to keep as a memory of being there. Well, artist Stephanie Lee Rose does something different. She shoots anti-selfies of herself dying. And dying is in quotes, of course, because it's all staged. Rose says the project titled Steph Dies is a photographic performance art series. And in the article on Petapixel, they have several of her images. And it's really interesting. The first one, uh, I don't see any mention about where this one was taken. But it's her, like, face down in uh, a fountain or a body of water in a town square. Um, and then the next one is her dead at the Eiffel Tower in Paris. And, and in all these shots, she's laying face down. So... And she, there's a shot here of her dead in front of the Eiffel Tower in Paris. Uh, there's another one of her dead on the rocks near the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Uh, another one of her at the Paris Marathon, and so on and so forth. And I just thought this was a really creative and interesting idea for an artistic photo project. To just go around the world to different countries and photograph yourself as a dead person in all of these interesting places. Uh, there's even one here, and I don't know how to pronounce the name of it, but there's one of her dead at the base of a glacier in Iceland. And there's one of her dead in the middle of the square at Borough Market in London. And a couple of more in different places in Paris. Maybe that's where uh, she's based out of as well as a couple of more of her in Italy. But I just thought that was a really interesting artistic concept that instead of doing selfies, doing anti-selfies of herself dead at these famous landmarks. And 
the, one of the reasons why I find this interesting is not only for the creative aspect of it and, you know, her thinking outside the box and doing something different and unique, but I also think it's applicable in, like I said, in, the, in 2019, in the selfie age, we do see frequently stories on the news where people have gotten killed over taking selfies. People have fallen off of cliffs. People have gotten hit by vehicles, by trains, by buses, all kinds of crazy stuff. So I, I think in that aspect, this project of hers kind of plays to that in two different ways. Being opposed to this standard selfie by doing anti-selfies as an artistic story or project. But then also the other side of that is you could look at it as her way of protesting against people that are constantly doing selfies and landmarks and jeopardizing themselves and others around them because they're more deeply concentrating on getting their selfie shot than they are what's going on around them. And as a result, people are getting injured, maimed, and even killed over something as stupid as a selfie. I mean, I'm sorry, but how narcissistic do you have to be to get killed while taking a selfie? That's just insane. But maybe that's because I'm an old timer. <laughs> maybe that's why I think it's a little bit nuts for young people to be getting themselves killed over getting a selfie. Um, at, a, at a, a landmark or a canyon or a cliff or a, railroad, a set of railroad tracks. And that's another thing. People are still doing railroad photos all the time. And I want to keep reminding you that photographing on active railroad tracks is actually against federal law. The railroads are privately owned by the rail companies and you are trespassing. Now, I've shot on railroad tracks myself. I try to limit it to only shooting on abandoned tracks. I never put models on tracks. I like to just shoot the railroad tracks themselves because I like the leading lines that you get and, and the look that you get. But generally, once in a blue moon, I'll stand on the tracks, but generally I will stand near the tracks and just shoot at an angle that makes it look like I'm shooting more over the tracks, but not necessarily being on the tracks themselves because it is dangerous and it is trespassing. Now, when I find abandoned railroad tracks, I'm not afraid to get down on the ground and lay right down on my stomach to get a unique point of view of the tracks. But I'm not dumb enough to do that on live tracks. And all I guess I'm trying to say, people, is use some common sense when you're taking photos and especially when you're taking selfies. But on the other hand, maybe this is what uh, Darwin meant the Darwin Awards you hear about all the time. So <laughs> not trying to be morbid and cruel to anybody. But please, uh, if you're going to take a selfie, I can understand, you know, if you're excited about being someplace you've never been before in a foreign country or, or at an international landmark, that's cool. That's great. If you want to document it, that's fine. But pay attention to what is going on around you so you don't become another statistic. All right. That's it. I'm going to wrap up this episode. I will also have the links to Rose's project on her Facebook, her website, and her Instagram. So you'll be able to check that out in the show notes as well. And this is episode 17 of the Liam Photography Podcast. Wrapping it up, please remember to like, rate, and review. Subscribe, whether it's in iTunes, Google Play, or any other 
software that you use to listen to podcasts. And I will see you next time in episode 18.